My prayer is to give some people hope. One of the saddest responses I ever encounter from folks who come and sit in a concert like this or visit the community is when they tend to view it as a freak anomaly. Wow, how did that happen? It's not a mystery. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My dad would often say that they were nothing special. They were just the four lepers who had no other choice but to obey God with all their hearts. Amen. That's what I want to talk about tonight. I've got four kids in the choir, in this choir. I can't see you, but mommy can. Even if she can't, Jesus can. (laughs) My two youngest kids aren't yet in the choir, but when the older kids were singing a song about, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, I've got this heartbeat in my chest, my youngest son didn't hear it quite like that. He was singing through the house, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, God is hopping in my chest. (laughs) I suppose Mary and Elizabeth might have felt something like that. I think we might feel something like that tonight. Hope is hopping in our chests. This is a night of rejoicing, a beacon of promise amidst gathering storm clouds. People are scared today. Christians are searching for answers. We all strain to peer through the fog into a clouded future and fight the feeling that liberty is losing, love languishing, evil advancing, and faith faltering. But it's no time to give up hope. History proves that Leviathan's determined advance has often been halted by no more than a near invisible thread stretched across his path. An unbroken thread of united Christians unwilling to compromise their convictions in the face of upheaval, madness, and change. I speak of the faithful like Corrie Tim Boone and her family, the Lichambon communities of southern France, the underground church in China today, and all those whose tiny lights gleamed the brightest amidst history's darkest nights. Fifty years ago, a small band of simple people heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. They left the schools before hundreds of mass shootings filled the news, before textbooks contained pornography and juveniles were made to believe they could change their gender. The simplicity of Christ called our founders out of the vicious mimetic rivalries of fashion and trend before minors were hanging themselves after not getting enough likes for their clothing outfits on social media platforms. They were pulling together, this group, and strengthening family and community relationships decades before the U.S. Surgeon General declared an urgent urgent health concern, what he called an epidemic 
of loneliness. The Surgeon General this past year said that this epidemic of loneliness is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. He goes on, quote, the mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. Our founders learned agricultural sustainable skills long before the shortages of COVID-19 emptied the grocery stores of all their product. They left the dog-eat-dog -dog economic treadmill before the American dream ate alive the American family as it has today. We stand here tonight because people did something. They didn't just talk or complain. They put shoes on their faith, gloves on their hopes, and set about to create the world they dreamed of. And some will laugh at me. They will roll their eyes at the notion that a movement so small could represent any measure of hope for these troubling times. But the literary revolution that placed Bibles and books in the hands of the masses began small. In Johann Gutenberg's cottage shop, stamping parchment papers on a single wine press, yes, sweeping change can start small and meet its share of calamity before it finds its day of triumph. There was one man in the early 1600s, William Tyndall, who toiled day and night to translate the whole Bible into the English tongue. Hounded by civil authorities and forced to foreign lands, it took him years to translate the first five books of Moses. Yet, while attempting to voyage between two cities, in the middle of the night, a storm arose and he lost it all. Handwritten papers floating on turbulent waters. The boat was destroyed and Tyndall barely escaped with his life. And the next day he picked up his pen and started writing all over again. The founding of this country and the future of, of the Western world pivoted on that single contribution, one man valiantly persisting against all odds in devotion to a higher cause. Brothers and sisters, you are Gutenberg's shop. You are the start of something much bigger than we see with our eyes tonight. You are the manuscript, one letter of hope that God is writing to the world in a day when hope is hard to grasp. You are no longer an idea, a vision of community in the mind. You are the second and third and fourth generations of a promise that was utterly impossible, nearly disappeared until it prevailed. The day is coming when more fathers and mothers will assume responsibility for their own families and quit looking to politicians and governments to solve their problems. You will give them hope. You will show them a tested pattern that works. When every major European country was heaving with violent revolutions in the 1700s, why was England spared, though at the beginning of the century, England 
was in more dire, debauched condition than all her peer nations. Historians tell us it's because of two brothers, John and Charles Wesley, who found the faith to stand against the odds and found a method that could be reproduced that could start to change the tide. We ask, why did the Nazi genocide machine gain no traction in Norway when it seemed so brutally successful elsewhere? Why did the archbishops, archbishop there stand against genocide when so many other Christians capitulated to this evil? Why did he accept prison and torture rather than comply? In his own words, it was because 30 young people called the Oxford Group had come just before the Nazis at just the right time, infusing a broken, hopeless, godless nation with the energizing fervor of their commitment to absolute honesty, absolute unselfishness, absolute purity, and absolute love. A study from the Barner Research Group was published this morning showing that at present, 42% of American pastors are considering abandoning their vocation because of their unsustainable stress and loneliness in this calling. We want to say to you tonight, don't sell yourself short. Don't scorn the duty you bear as a father, mother, or pastor. That's what the apparatchiks of tyranny hope you will do. They want you to believe that only elections matter, not families, but the salvation of a nation unfolds in living rooms and prayer closets and less in the halls of Congress and voting booths. God has a pattern of planting slow-growing miracles, miracles that seem to mature at a pivotal moment to satisfy an impossible challenge. For 850 years, the roof structure over the Notre Dame Cathedral has been called the forest. Do you know why? Because 200 years before the wood was required to build the trusses, Christians planted a forest of oaks anticipating the need that the roof centuries ahead would require. Tonight, this church family turns 50, a 50-year-old orchard. And heaven only knows when the wood will be ready to find its place in that great and final unified temple that ushers in the Lord's return, the capstone with shouts of God bless it and grace to it. But even now, at this time, we of the following generations already see God's provision that he saw ahead and made a way before trouble enclosed around us. Our founders did not spend their gifts cobbling together the cheapest, biggest building they could erect in the shortest amount of time. No, they planted trees for a generational project. They focused on the health of the soil, the strength of each plant, the generational durability of faith's ecology. The afflicted, patient Job speaks to us through the words of Scripture. He says, There is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, that it will sprout again. And that its tender shoots will not cease, though its root may grow old in the earth. 
and its stump may die in the ground. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud again and bring forth branches like a plant. Gathered in this auditorium from front to back are individuals and families who were once cut down. Trees severed from life by sin, hardship, failure, fear, and pain. But there is hope for a tree, though it be cut down. One year ago, Michael Morton, who sits here with us tonight, was sleeping on the concrete floor of a mechanic's shop. Alcoholism had cut him down, severing him from his job, from his wife and children, and any path to hope. On the day of his deepest despair, someone suggested that he drive to, up from Austin to Waco to visit the Labor Day Sorghum Festival. On a lark, he decided to do it, later not even knowing why. There he would meet brothers and sisters, and his whole life would turn around. Today, his marriage is back together. He's working a successful job, owns 13 acres and his own home, has a hope and a future. Who knew that a miracle could pivot on a sorghum festival? Oh, but he just had to get close enough to love and hope to smell water again. There is hope for a tree if it be cut down, that at the sin of water it will sprout again. Teb Seifu was born in a grass hut in sub-Saharan Africa. His parents made the perilous trek out of war-torn Ethiopia and eventually to the brighter shores of America. But the blade of bad influence, drugs, and crime began to cut against the tree of Teb's life. Invited by a former drug dealer, he stumbled into a place he'd never seen or heard of before. In that first home group meeting, just about a quarter mile away, Teb smelled the scent of water. He found mercy big enough to forgive, a power strong enough to break addiction, and a context supportive enough to sustain the miracle. Today, Teb is a business owner and a ranking leader of a multi-million dollar enterprise. He owns his own home, a home which he shares with his wife and three children because there is hope for a tree if it be cut down. On the last and greatest day of a Jerusalem celebration 2,000 years ago, a man raised his voice above the rejoicing crowd. He called out, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. This same Jesus told a stranger at a well that the water he gave would become an inner fountain springing up to eternal life. He, Jesus, is the source of every victory. He is the water turning stumps into forests of oaks, oaks of righteousness. Kay Toombs was a professor of philosophy at Baylor University. Raised in England, she lived all over the world. But not until she came to a fair and heard the voices of a children's choir did she recognize the voice of her maker. No arguments, platitudes, or promises inspired her dormant faith only the undeniable witness of loved children could open the door of, saving, of a saving relationship for Kay. Kay is now 80, celebrated her birthday last week. She loves knitting and weaving at Fibercrafts, and her books and lectures on suffering with dignity, 
on technology and community edify individuals all over the world. Kay's tree of faith had been cut down, but there is hope for a tree if it be cut down, that at the sin of water it will come to life again. After many years in the Air Force, traveling around the world, Dr. Mark Dickey felt his faith withered, shriveled, like a stump in dry ground. He dropped out of medicine, jaded, and abandoned the notion that medicine could be an environment for care. Yet he came to a Christmas concert, and a faith that had grown almost dormant smelled water. God gave Dr. Mark a wife and seven children. Mark renewed his medical license and opened a clinic here at Homestead where he prays in the name of Jesus for every patient before providing love, care, and healing for the whole person, not just the condition, because there is hope for a tree if it be cut down, that at the sin of water it will come to life again. D.K. Soon was enrolled in the business school at Baylor. His parents served as Chinese Communist Party leaders. He describes arriving at his first Christmas concert, unable to understand English and forced to focus on the faces and interactions between the people. He says, I saw a light beaming from each countenance and swirling through the room. I thought, these are God's people. These must be Jewish people. DK only knew one word in the concert, and that was hallelujah. But he had smelled the scent of water, and faith sprang up to welcome his hitherto unknown Messiah. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit during the first song of his first church meeting. God's given him a wife, beautiful children, a future, and a hope, because you know it. There is hope for a tree if it be cut down, that at the sin of water, it will come to life again. We were the cut-down people, plucked up by the roots, some discarded by society, Others showed every outward mark of success, but suffered an inner emptiness that cried out to be part of a people. What is the opposite of lonely? It's what we feel and know here tonight. It's community. It's unity. It's friendship. It's love. It's home. Two years ago, Tia Johns happened upon this place after pursuing fame and success as a model in California's entertainment industry. This was the last place she ever imagined herself. She describes feeling inwardly empty, confused, and hopeless. She found wonderful deliverance in the prayer room right there one night. And before her first week was over, she was baptized in the Spirit and granted a brand new mind, hope, and life. She's married now and serves fabulous food and beautiful smiles at Waco's number one rated restaurant. I won't mention the name. We're here tonight because the dream that began with Abraham has not died. The dream that drove the pilgrims to the shores of this distant land has not died. The dream that led our fathers and mothers 1,800 miles from the east coast of the United States to start a Christian community has not died. As my father said 40 years ago, the dream still lives. The dream of Christian, Christian community burns, burned in the hearts of the Latimers in New Zealand when they purchased a piece of land on the South Island and pledged it to God's purpose. But for years it seemed that their tree of community would not grow. 
But that didn't keep Ralph, Jared, Eddie, and Peter from gathering regularly to pray and seek their dream. In the least expected way, God arranged a failed business trip. That's right. God arranged a failed business trip from Texas to Australia. But but an encounter occurred between brothers from here and the seekers over there. Now a vibrant community thrives on 270 beautiful acres bordering the Mohawka River in New Zealand's North Island. People from all over the world visit, from Afghanistan, Israel, Europe, India, Russia, all discovering, you guessed it, there is hope for a tree if it be cut down that at the sin of water it will sprout again. The dream still lives. After earning his pastorate in the Methodist church, Rowan Gill, who is with us tonight, of South Africa, couldn't quiet the yearning in his soul for more of the promised life of God. He became a Baptist. At least they celebrated God's enduring word. But his strength was waning. His hope was failing. But just eight years ago, he smelled new water. Rowan writes, When your brothers found us in our distant land, we were floundering. We knew there had to be more, but we could not find our way. We could not see the door. We were drowning in strange and various doctrines, hard to understand and impossible to abide by. Our faith had become a theory, our lives worldly. The first hour with your brothers and our world was turned upside down. With grace and conviction, they spoke of their lives and their way. They spoke of another country, of farming and horses and love. They spoke of exodus and escape of life, of hope. There's a thriving community of people on the beautiful garden route of South Africa's Western Cape State. It's growing daily, extending its branches laden with fruit to the Netherlands, Uganda, Eritrea, and the Caribbean because there is hope for a tree if it be cut down that at the sin of water it will come to life again. To you who've given up, believing You've tried everything and are now ready to consign your childlike faith to the heap of childish fantasies. I'm here to tell you tonight, there is hope for a tree. The exhaustion and end of man's efforts is where grace begins to work its miracles. Ask the community in Israel. Talk to the community members from Mexico. The scent of water has reached Hungary. Where are you? Brothers from Hungary, amen, there they are, has reached Hungary. Now growth is spreading on an old stump in Argentina. The planting of the Lord is springing forth in South India. Smell the air for hope, brothers and sisters. Your dreams are not dead, only dormant. Surrounding you tonight is all the proof you need to believe again. Surrounding you tonight is evidence that the leper's footsteps can be multiplied, that the dream still lives. The word of God, blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of sinners. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and who meditates on his law day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes the flesh his strength, and who turns his heart from the Lord. He will be like a shrub in the desert. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He is like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots toward the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes and its leaves are always green. It does not worry in a year of drought, nor does it cease to produce fruit. If we can overcome our fears and find faith tonight, it's because we're trees who were once cut down but have found the stream of water in Jesus, in his word, in his spirit, in his body. To the first generation, how can I look in your faces tonight and retain my composure? We would be nothing without you. Your tenacity, your courage, your sacrifice. You believed in a dream before it was real. You gave all for a vision before it was seen. You followed God's voice. You went out not knowing where you were going, just like Abraham. You were young when you set off as pioneers to forge a new life together. Most of you were in your 20s, some of you still in your teens. But you laid everything on the line, your vocations, reputations, your very future. Why? What made you leave? What made you do it? What dream or promise made you shed self-interest? hesitation and fear to step out into the unknown. The answer beams from your smiling faces and your uplifted praying hands and the whole witness of your beautiful lives. Faith, hope, and love. It was the resonant voice of your maker beckoning you to living waters, mountain vistas, and fruitful valleys beyond belief. You didn't parcel out your faith, dividing among many possible options, hedging your bets. You gave all, left nothing in reserve. And we are here to remember. We are here to honor. We are here to cross our hearts and commit ourselves to walk in your footsteps. And indeed, what could you have given your life to of greater value? An illustrious career that appears like a vapor and vanishes? A retirement package that allows you to travel the nation and visit her shrines in an RV made of plastic and steel? Perhaps of greatest note is your perseverance in the face of an endless stream of driveling taunts, mockery, scorn, and sometimes hateful lies. Through the years, some of you have seen your companions wash out, join the peanut gallery, and begin to reproach your efforts, the very life they once aspired to but lacked the resolve to realize. But your second, third, and fourth generation surrounds you tonight. 
They do not sit in the seat of mockers, nor stand in the way of sinners, but they rise up and call you blessed. I speak not only to our blood kin, but to all who made the sacrifice before there was proof. You are the fathers and mothers of these generations. You are our aunts and uncles and grandparents of all those who carry on the torch. Nowhere in all the world could a natural family cherish more honor for its elders than we do for you right now. To the following generations, my own and the third and the fourth and those to come, I say this, our posterity is not assured. It hangs daily on the choice to value our inheritance and to do our part to secure its survival by loving and guiding our children, keeping our hearts pure from the world, seeking the glory of Christ above all, and sticking to the course that has brought us this far. God has blessed us. He has prospered our businesses, sharpened and educated our minds. He has secured our relations and given us a life that many envy. But if we sacrifice, but if sacrifice ever slips from our focus, or God's great glory ceases to be our first ambition, then our table will become a snare. Our inheritance will turn to idolatry as we worship the gifts instead of the giver. God, keep our souls from idols and from coveting Babylon. To whom much is given, Jesus says, much is required. I say to the coming generations, it's not about us. It's about him. And it's about those seeking him in greater reality. There are Rowans all over the world. There are more New Zealand clusters praying for answers right now as we, see, as we speak. The cries of God's people are ascending during the duress of these troublesome times. The plunder of Egypt is useful, but it is not our inheritance. A promised land of wholeness and unity lies beyond the Jordan for us to inherit. We must remain steadfast in our ambition and say with the psalmist, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We seek nothing short of the restoration of spiritual and relational Zion in this time. Not a building, not a geographic place, but a network that we call the body of Christ. The gathering together under the Spirit's leading of all things that are in Christ to fulfill Paul's prophecy. We seek the rising of the mighty dormant army in the valley of dry bones. We agree with the prophet Isaiah and we commit ourselves with his words. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not hold my peace until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation as a blazing torch. If we stand upon the firm foundation of tonight, after 50 years, where, I ask you, will we be in 100 years? The principle 
of multiplication is already at work, and this thing is accelerating. That depends on you, your honor for the vision, your sacrifice and faith, your love above all else. The dream still lives. That's what we're here to say, and let that echo in our hearts. Let it find its way into every hopeless cavern of despair. The dream still lives. You feel it. You feel it in the songs. You feel it in your heart right now. The dream lives on. The dream lives on. The dream won't die. The dream will never die because it's not our dream. It's Jesus' dream. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.